0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? our forefathers at the manor in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, That I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world.
1: Tony, thanks uh, very much indeed. Uh, Let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Pete's already. It's uh, wonderful to see you here. And if, uh, as Peter said, if you are here for the first time, then a very special uh, welcome to you and a very special uh, welcome to those who've come for the baptism of Connie. It's uh, great to have you here. A a friend of mine uh, with three teenage boys watched them systematically devour everything on the dinner table with the sort of precision you expect from a plague of locusts, not a crumb was left, and he said what many parents of teenage boys have said, I simply don't know where they put it all. In, uh, it, it's uh, not just then, either. Apparently, no sooner do his boys get down from the table after a huge meal and after having seconds and seconds of seconds than they're back sniffing around the kitchen cupboards for a snack just to keep them going. What we see in teenage boys illustrates an experience that is known by every human being who walks this planet. We all have an insatiable appetite for life, always wanting more. An appetite for life can be a terrific thing. I think of a friend who has boundless energy. He's always enthusiastically up for the next exciting adventure. I love his drive for life. Wish I had more of it myself although sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming an appetite for life is a terrific thing but that said having an appetite that we cannot satisfy can feel like something of a curse now listen to these words from um, Barry Humphreys Um, he of course is uh, well known as Dame Edna Everidge I won't read these words uh, in an accent you'll be pleased to know This is the beginning of his autobiography. It's called More Please. I always wanted more. I never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless love or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. Of course, I've had more than my fair share of most of these commodities, but it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. Where was the rest? We all know that kind of feeling to a greater or lesser extent. Here we are in the summer, some of us desperate for a holiday, said the preacher with feeling. When we, we finally get away, it's great, but with a few weeks uh, back into the normal routine, how many of us bemoan the fact that it feels as if we would never been away? Some experience it in their career. You get the promotion you've worked so hard for and crave for so long. And for a while, you're on cloud nine, walking on air. And then it's not enough. You want more and you're not satisfied until you've climbed the next rung on the career ladder. And what is true of holidays and career, sadly, is what some feel about their spouse. When you first met, it was enough just to be with them in their arms gazing into their eyes nothing else absolutely nothing else mattered but for you to be together but now now you find yourself dissatisfied with the one you promised to be faithful to for the rest of your life another has caught your eye and grabbed your heart we always want something more We experience it in the really big things of life and in the most ordinary things that really don't matter that much. It happens when you take delivery of a new car or buy new clothes or get a new gadget. For a while, sometimes for some months, you feel satisfied with your new acquisition. But then gradually your hunger comes back and you crave a new one. Of course, this insatiable appetite is nothing new. It's uh, happened all through life all down through history. C.S. Lewis spotted it 70 years ago when he wrote this book, uh, Mere Christianity. He writes these words. Most people, if they'd really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign holiday or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Now it is that that hunger, that that drive for deep down satisfaction for something more that is at the very heart of Jesus' teaching here in John chapter 6. If you're taking notes, here's the first point, searching for Jesus, verses 22 to 26 in John 6. The chapter begins, we didn't read this, but the chapter begins with Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. And it was an astonishing miracle because, verse 12, they all had enough to eat. They were all satisfied at the end of that meal. It wasn't just a little crumb. It wasn't just a little taste of fish. They felt full. And verse 13, there was enough left over to fill 12 basketfuls. Following that miracle, Jesus' disciples got into a boat and started rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 19, while they were straining at the oars because a strong wind had got up, Jesus came to them walking on the water. He got into the boat and with them, they made it to the other side. And then we read verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it. The crowd weren't stupid. Only one boat had left the shore and when it left, they knew Jesus wasn't in it. And so they asked, where was Jesus? Jesus. And verse twenty four. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there on their side of the shore, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Here then are the crowd searching for Jesus, and when they found him on the opposite side of the lake, they were curious about how he got across. They asked, verse twenty five, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, verse twenty six, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's a very striking way to uh, to answer a question when they asked jesus how do you get there jesus could have said i walked across the water that really would have spiced up the conversation but rather than tell them about his ability to walk on water he asked them to look into their own hearts he showed them their motives for wanting him he said you're only searching for me because i filled your bellies They didn't, you see, need to see another miracle. They'd already experienced a miracle firsthand. They'd not just seen him feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish, but they had touched the miracle as they took the loaves. They had tasted the miracle as they ate the fish. They'd experienced the miracle as they felt full and satisfied. They didn't need more evidence that Jesus was a miracle worker and Jesus knew that. They needed to know what the miracles were about. Because the only reason they were searching for Jesus was because he could fill their stomachs, he says. That wasn't the point of the miracle. Jesus didn't feed them because he wanted people to come to him rather than to go to McDonald's or Pizza Hut. Jesus' miracle was about something much greater than just having a good meal. But they didn't get it. And that's why he didn't say, oh, I can walk on water as well, because that wouldn't have made any difference to them. He says, no, look into your hearts. See, Jesus' miracles are supposed to point us to, to who he is and, and what he's come for. This crowd missed the point completely. They just wanted Jesus to meet their physical needs. The same happens today. People search for Jesus, and it's good to do that, but because they have a particular need they think he can meet. Maybe the most obvious example is wanting to be healed. Their logic seems right. Jesus healed people. He can heal today. I'll go to Jesus for healing. If it's not healing, it can be something else. The problem is I'm then going to Jesus on my terms with with my agenda, with the things that I think are the most important things in my life. But if we'll listen to Jesus, he has something to say to us that is far more important, something that he's really come for. So from searching for Jesus to listening to Jesus... This is the second point from verse 27. See, Jesus said to the crowd, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. That's what he's come for. That's the primary thing he's about eternal life. That's what we should be living for because everything else spoils. Don't work for food that spoils, nothing else lasts. Oh, kind of, we know that. We know it at the most mundane situation. Buy new clothes and they look fantastic and we feel a million dollars, but then they wear out or they go out of fashion, so they're sent off to the charity shop where I buy them. (laughs) Nothing lasts. We buy a new gadget and it does something more than the last one and what fun it is And until the hardware gives up or it doesn't have the capacity to keep up with the latest software. Nothing lasts. Nothing satisfies. Not fully, not completely. And so everything I look to in this life makes me want more. Leaves me feeling hungry. I always wanted more. I never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasure or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. And you can add your own things to the list. We always want more. And because nothing in this life lasts forever, and nothing in this life ultimately gives us what we're looking for, how kind of Jesus to tell us, verse 27 don't work for food that spoils. Rather, look for, live for something that lasts for eternity. Eternity is something we should really seriously think about at some point in our lives. It is, of course, what this baptism is all about. We, we long for Connie, when she's old enough, to be able to think about the very big things of life and the things of eternal life. It's something we really all should think about. And I guess this week of all weeks, we know the truth of that. A friend of mine called me on Friday morning to tell me that his brother, his wife, and his children, aged 14 and 11, were just 15 metres away from the truck that mowed down so many in Nice late on Thursday night, they had missed so narrowly the unthinkable happening to them. Just an ordinary family on holiday, and they were within inches of their life and exposed to the dreadful reality that so many were unlucky. Earlier in the week, it's got lost in all the other news 23 people were on a train in southern Italy and didn't get off alive. We don't think it'll ever happen to us on holiday, on a train journey, but it can, and for some it does. And a week like this puts things in perspective. And today, Jesus asks us as we read this passage, how much of our lives are bound up with things that don't last, that don't matter? Oh, of course we have to go out to work to put food on the table and clothes on our back and a roof over our heads. These are basic human needs. Of course we have to be you know meeting those needs but let's be honest with ourselves we know the difference between providing for our needs and living for things that don't last how tragic it is to spend our lives pursuing things that don't matter missing out on the very thing that lasts for eternity and the very thing that jesus claims will satisfy us completely It was 25 years ago this month that I was ordained and in the past 25 years of pastoral ministry, I've sat with a number of people in their final weeks of life. It's a heartbreaking experience. But I want to say it's also a privilege to sit with people as they are ready to face death or not, but are certainly thinking about it And as they sometimes share with me their deepest thoughts in those moments. It wouldn't be right for me to quote them verbatim, they bared their souls to me. What I can tell you is that it's been very sobering on a number of occasions to hear people at the end of their lives speak with great clarity about what really matters in life. It's been very telling when some have spoken with regret regretting how much of their lives were given to things that really didn't matter standing on the brink of eternity brings a remarkable clarity to our thinking but we don't have to wait till the end of our lives jesus gives us that clarity now before it's too late and he says don't work for things that spoil how often our lives are driven by desires strong desires but still desires for the wrong things things that are not worthy of us pursuing them so intensely listen again to c.s lewis this time from his work the weight of glory first he delivered this as a as a sermon but it's been written down since lewis wrote it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased, wrote Lewis. Jesus says, don't work for things that spoil. Set your sights on things that are bigger, greater, more important, lasting. Desire things that are more substantial. Desire eternity. And that which endures into eternal life comes, end of verse 27, from the Son of Man, from Jesus himself. And so the crowd asked rightly, verse 28, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent Here's Jesus talking about eternal life, something that God can give, something that He can give, and the, and the crowd saying, Well, what have I got to do? What have I, what have I got to work for? What I, tell me how I get this thing. And Jesus says something remarkably simple. He says, simply this God requires you to believe in me. The word believe there is the word pistuonte uh, from the uh, root pistuosis. It could be translated believe or as it is here, or have faith in, or trust in. Jesus is saying here, put your trust in, have faith in me. That's how you get eternal life, that's it. Let me stop here for a moment. When I talk to people about Jesus, they often say to me, I'm not quite sure, but they say to me, I wish I had your faith. I'm not sure why they say that to me, but they do. And I think what they're thinking is that somehow I've managed to muster up from inside myself this thing called faith. Somehow I'm, I'm this person full of faith. That's not it at all. Jesus says you don't have to find faith from somewhere inside of yourself. You just have to transfer it. You see, we are all putting our faith somewhere. We're all, this is a better word, trusting in something or someone to satisfy our hunger in life. We're quite used to transferring that, actually. We look for this and it doesn't deliver, so we look over here. We transfer our faith, our trust in that thing. That hasn't delivered, I'll trust this instead. We're always transferring our faith, our trust in something to deliver, to satisfy our hunger. To believe in Jesus is, is not to find faith from inside yourself, but to say stop pinning your hopes on something else and instead transfer your allegiance to Jesus trust him to deliver of course that isn't to be done in an unquestioning way in a mindless way people often talk about oh you know, I don't want to have blind faith no don't have blind faith how ridiculous is that have considered faith now, a crowd knew that so they asked a very important question here's the third point searching for jesus listening to jesus now questioning jesus says, Jesus offers eternal life, a remarkable claim to be able to give eternal life. They questioned him. And honestly, if someone walked up to me and said that they could give me eternal life, I would say prove it. And that is exactly what the crowd said, verse 30. They asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Jesus, you're making big, big claims, so come on, prove it. On the one hand, that is precisely the right question. But in the context, you see why, on the other hand, for them, it is completely the wrong question. You see, it is reasonable to demand evidence, but for them, Jesus was already given them a sign when he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. He performed that miracle precisely to demonstrate that he can feed us more than that, that he can satisfy our insatiable appetite for life. So verse 30 is both the right question, but in their circumstances, the wrong one. What goes on later, as the crowd asks more, we see more what's behind their question. Verse 31, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The crowds, as you know, are are, are Jewish. They're thinking back to their history, Israel's history, to how God delivered them out of Egypt and then how the children of Israel wandered around the desert for 40 years and before entering the promised land, remember how they asked Moses to ask God to feed them while they're in the desert and God gave them manna from heaven. A sweet and nutritious bread that miraculously appeared every morning for the people of Israel to gather up and eat. And so the logic of the crown's request for a sign is this. Moses gave our ancestors manna from heaven which fed them every day. Jesus, you're claiming to be able to give us something greater than everyday food. You're claiming to be able to give us eternal life. So you should be able to do something more miraculous than Moses. That's the logic. And to that Jesus said, verse 32... I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Yes, Jesus had given the miraculous sign of feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. But he said, the greater miracle is me. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the one who came down from heaven, the true bread from heaven. He is the way to eternal life and to satisfying our hunger for life, for satisfaction, and for meaning. See what this says? Christianity is not about assenting to a system or a set of beliefs, it's certainly not trying to keep rules. one of the things we'll long for Connie to know as she grows up. We don't just want her to learn about religion or a set of rules. What we want for Connie is that she comes to know a person, the Lord Jesus. Christianity is about Jesus and it's about trusting him. And it's the wonderful message that when we truly come to him, verse 35, we will never go hungry and never be thirsty. Often when I speak to... uh, parents new parents or older parents they say what they really want for their children is to be happy of course we do it's a lovely thing to want of course we do in jesus we can find what we're all looking for our stronger than happiness it's a wonderful thing what a thought never to go hungry or to thirst ever again you know that kind of longing to find that our appetite for life is satisfied, to know what life's about, to know why you're living, what on earth you're doing on this planet. And to know that even if death comes quite unexpectedly, as it did for 84 people in Nice on Thursday and 23 people in Italy, and of course I haven't even mentioned the people in Turkey, what a thought to know that even if death comes, It will not rob you of life. If Jesus is where life is found and you have spent your life living for Jesus, then death doesn't rob you of him, but you actually find eternal life, life with him beyond the grave. What a thought, I've given my whole life to something and death comes in and this is what most people do. Death comes in, it robs us of everything we've lived for. But with Jesus, I've given my whole life to him and death comes in and I find him, with him forever. It's a great thought, but if I'm going to give my whole life to Jesus, I've got to be sure that he can deliver I need to know that I will have this thing that he offers, eternal, satisfying life. And so as we draw to a close, that is exactly what Jesus speaks of next. Very briefly, searching for Jesus, listening to Jesus, questioning Jesus, and briefly, finally, trusting Jesus, verses 37 to 40. Look what he says in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Verse 40, whoever believes in Christ shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, these are words of deep assurance for anyone who makes Jesus their everything. You've got to know, you see, if you're going to come to Jesus, that he will accept you, that he won't ever reject you, that he won't push you away. But more than that, that he will keep you safe with him until you are finally with him. That is exactly what he came to do, verse 38 and 39. He came down from heaven precisely to get a good firm grip of all who are his and bring them to eternal life. In short, Jesus will give you and keep you And make you his own and give you satisfying life forever. I've got to know that if I'm going to give my whole life to him. Jesus then not only claims to be the reason for life itself. And he not only promises to be able to give you eternal life. But he guarantees delivering on those promises. Giving satisfying eternal life to all who come to him. As I close I reckon there will be two types of people here this morning. First, there'll be some here who who don't, at the moment, trust in the Lord Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a committed Christian. Can I say thank you very much for coming this morning if you fall into that category? Thanks very much for coming and thanks for listening. And may I ask you, as you've listened to Jesus this morning, have you at least seen that Jesus is not talking about religion here? Something much more important. He's talking about satisfying your appetite in life and may I ask if it rings true that your experience in life so far is that nothing quite satisfies you that everything in this life leaves you feeling hungry again then could it be that jesus really does have something that's worth looking into oh, you'll have questions you may want more evidence of course you will but let me ask you will you at least look into these claims they are worth worth considering aren't they If that is you and you're saying, yeah, okay, okay, I'll give it a little bit more thought. Uh, I'd love to give you a booklet. I've got a number of them with me. I'll be standing at the door. Just say, I'd like one. That's all you need to say. I won't ask you any questions. And uh, you can have a bit of a read and it'll tell you just a little bit more about the things that we've been saying about. So if you're in that category, please do that. And then there'll be another group of people here, perhaps, perhaps the majority, I don't know, who say, no, we do believe that Jesus is the bread of life. But within those, that group of people, some will be saying, I know what this says, but this isn't my experience. Let's be honest. Yes, I do call myself a Christian, but I still feel hungry and dissatisfied. This doesn't seem to have delivered. If that's you, can I ask you to consider this, whether you feel that way because you've actually taken your eye off the ball. Yes, you can look back to a day when you committed your life to Jesus Christ, but honestly, now... Is Jesus the one you're looking to to satisfy you? Honestly, has something else grabbed your heart? Honestly, do you actually live for something else, really? I know the temptation in my own life. I keep thinking that other things will satisfy me. I keep being tempted to put Jesus to one side and to make other things more important. All the time, that is a battle in my life. As I talked about this with the staff team earlier this week, one person helpfully said, becoming a Christian is not just about praying a prayer of commitment years ago. It's about losing your life. It's about making Jesus Lord. It's about coming to him daily, to use Jesus' words here, to feed on him. And just as I need to eat food every day, I need to turn to Jesus every day to be the one to satisfy my deepest longings. So Christian, be sure to come to him every day. Read the Bible, pray to him, feed on him. Allow him to shape your thinking and set your motives and ambitions and priorities. That is the beginning of having satisfying eternal life in Christ. Jesus said, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we read these words of the Lord Jesus, we read words that go right to the very heart of our emotions and feelings and experiences and desires. We thank you very much that that Jesus speaks about things that really matter. And this week, facing the awful events uh, on the continent, we come to you knowing that we need big answers to big questions we can so easily get caught up in the everyday and frankly insignificant things of life. And we pray now that as we're faced to think about bigger things, that it would be the Lord Jesus that we turn to, knowing that he has the answer to satisfying life now and eternal life beyond the grave. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.